Hello again, everyone. Um, I'm Ram Danish from the University of Waterloo, and welcome to Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. And as with the last few episodes, I'm joined again today by one of my students, Carly, who's going to help me talk about interpersonal communication practices. So why don't you say hello, Carly, and tell us what you want to talk about today. Hello. Thank you for the introduction, Rob. Uh, my name is Carly, and I'm a third year student in speech communication. And today we're going to talk about effective states. So for those of you who aren't familiar, affective states are subjective bodily experiences of emotion, and then those are tied to um, physical responses. There are positive, negative, and neutral affective states, and they kind of dictate how we're feeling in a moment and how we experience those emotions. So remember, emotions are things we feel in the body. So the idea of an affective state is supposed to remind us that any, anything we feel, we feel it physically. It's not just a thought we have in our head. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is grounded in Sylvan Tompkins' affective theory, and this states that people are primarily motivated by affective states. So that means our affective states, or how we feel, motivates us to be around certain people or to do certain things. Um, affective resonance is the tendency to experience the same affect as displayed by those around us. So if you were to come home and be super stressed that day and then be around your partner, they're much more likely to feel stressed themselves. In the same vein, if you were to come home and be very excited to greet your partner, the two of you would likely both be excited together. Essentially, effective resonance amplifies whatever emotions you're experiencing at a particular moment. So this is like, uh, it's also like emotional contagion, which I think I've talked about it in another episode. Um, so whatever physically we're feeling tends to be caught or reproduced in those other people that are, are close to us. And that is really, really important. It has a profound influence over how we experience our day when those around us are influencing our own affective states. Exactly, and there are a couple different types of positive affective states and negative affective states. Um, the two primary positive affective states are joy and interest slash excitement. And then the secondary positive affective states that we experience are gratitude, hope, pride, awe, serenity, amusement, and inspiration. Uh, and that's kind of how we identify and group positive affective states. The primary negative affective states, on the other hand, are anger, disgust, fear, shame, and distress. I was stuck. I, this reminds me, I have to give a talk about teaching soon to a bunch of engineers, and they want, to, they want me to talk about teaching as a performance art. And one of the things I want to talk about is the emotional affective state of the teacher and how that's contagious to the students. So this even works in a classroom. Imagine if you don't like going to class so much, you might ask yourself, is my teacher displaying one of those negative affective states? Are they displaying disgust or anger or fear or something like that? Or are they displaying one of the primary positive affective states, joy or interest and excitement? Uh, I get really excited about the things that I teach about. And it's sometimes as simple as that. Students will respond to that level of excitement. Um, and that will have a positive impact on, on the classroom. So even in a really elementary way, if you can think about the difference between joy and disgust or excitement um, and fear as two very big primary affective states and when those around you are in one of those two states. 
Yeah, and so that can be in play in the classroom in a larger setting, but it can also be a really big part of interpersonal interaction and interpersonal relationships. Um, Part of why effective states matter so much is that they shape a relationship. The effective states that are elicited from interacting with another person, maybe your partner or a family member or your friend, that is what creates the relationship that you two share. Uh, According to John Gottman, uh, in happy marriages, there should be a five to one ratio of positive effective states to negative effective states. And those negative effective states can be beneficial when they lead to growthful conflict. However, if most of your relationship is creating a negative effective states in you or your partner or both of you, it's gonna lead you to um, associate the relationship with stress, with fear, um, and you're not gonna enjoy it or look forward to it. And whenever I hear that Gottman research, I'm always, I always think about um, how the initial stages of a relationship are almost always tied to joy and excitement. So when you first meet your partner, you start, you, when you first see them, you think, or you feel joy and excitement when they're around. And then sometimes the rest, the rest of the relationship manifests those negative affective states, and it can be really terrible, but it ends up being really terrible for a long time, mostly because you live for so long kind of chasing the ghost of those positive physiological affective states. They were so good, they were so positive, and you want them so badly that you're willing to stick around in hopes that that joy and that excitement will return again. And so those positive physiological affective states are really, really powerful in interpersonal relationships. Yeah, and luckily, uh, today we're also going to talk about a couple ways that you can engage positive affective states in your partner. Um, so we're also pro- we're always producing affective states when we interact with our partner, whether they're negative, positive, or neutral. Even a neutral comment, depending on the context, can create a positive or negative affective state. Um, so remember, yeah, this is the you cannot not communicate rule. So you cannot not communicate because you can't avoid producing affective states, whether they're positive or negative. Exactly. Um, So one of the first ones is opening up possibilities for your partner. And there's a couple different ways you can do that. For example, storytelling. So talking to them about uh, an exciting thing that happened that day or really drawing them into a part of your life that you want to share. A second way you can do that is talking about shared dreams and visions. So maybe that's planning for an upcoming vacation or what you want to do together that weekend. Or in a larger sense, that could be planning for a family or your future as a couple. Um, Another way to do that to open up possibilities for your partner is imagining ideal scenarios. So kind of talking through, oh, what could happen at this new job interview? Or what could happen when we go experience this together? So just in general, creating a sense of positivity and looking forward to the future. And interestingly, you listeners that stick around for a bunch more episodes, we're gonna come back to this when when you get to leadership. It's an essential leadership skill, too, to be able to imagine a positive future because it's so good at triggering positive physiological affective states. Uh, Another way you can trigger positive affective states in your partner is to focus on their positive traits. So help them become proud of who they are um, and embrace like different traits and qualities they have and really celebrating them. One way you could do that is let's say your partner just went to the gym and they're feeling good about starting this new initiative. When they get back, you could say, wow, you look fantastic. <laughs> Did you go to the gym today? Uh, and just kind of like general encouragement. Um, another way would be just noting kind things they do throughout the day or kind interactions they have. Um, anywhere you see them interact with other people in a positive way is a great way to like recognize and appreciate who they are and what they're being. And I think that allows people to feel more positively about themselves and then that allows the relationship to grow as well. 
Um, a third way you can engage positive effective states in your partner is a willingness to try new things, learn, discuss interesting experiences, and kind of get out of your comfort zone. Um, the reason this works is because it engages the parasympathetic nervous system and that produces positive effective states. Um, a kind of an interesting study that's on the side is in 1964, Schachter did a psychological experiment where he had participants walk across a bridge and then afterwards exchange phone numbers. <laughs> and um, participants who had walked across the bridge and who had been like scared or tried something new were more inclined to like follow through on calling the people whose phone numbers they'd received. So by associating like fear or new experiences with someone, it like increases arousal and connection between two people. Um, some of the ways you could do like implement this in your relationship could be like taking a class together, trying something new, exploring a new place. Um, my partner and I are trying dance classes next week, which will be interesting. Um, and it was just to try something new and do something a little different. And it's the age old phenomenon of every marriage counselor across North America is suggesting date nights for old married couples and in particular suggesting date nights that uh, encourage them to do something different together. Um, whether, whether or not that always works is kind of an open question, but it's based on this theory that if you engage the parasympathetic nervous system in these activities, you'll draw people closer together uh, through these kinds of physiological affective states. Another kind of side to the coin of trying new things and discussing interesting experiences is being open to talking with and genuine dialogue. So kind of being open to talking about new things and putting yourself in a vulnerable position around your opinions. Um, yeah. And then a fourth way is simply displaying compassion for one another. So just nurturing and understanding one another and showing care for their well-being. This has been proven to lower blood pressure, decrease stress, anxiety, and fear. Uh, it can be as easy as like helping with a task. Um, sometimes if my roommate's really stressed, I'll do her dishes as well, or just little things like that that shows that you're considering their experience of the day and how they're feeling and noticing their emotions as well. Um, another way to kind of think of something is like compassionate or caring is pretty much anything personally that my grandmother does is usually <laughs> pretty compassionate. Wait, what does um, your grandmother do? That's so, that's so great. Well, whenever I go to my grandmother's houses, they always feed me a lot. <laughs> so they want me to be full and they'll always be, oh, are you warm enough? And they'll bring me blankets and feed me. And it, it's just very nurturing. And it really shows that they're, they like care and are thinking about my experiences and how I feel. Um, and notice too how those like food and warmth, <laughs> those are two critical components of physical well-being. And so the, the practice or the behavior is targeted directly at physical well-being and ensuring that physical well-being is kind of maintained or, or met. And that's why effective states are so important because they're, they're tied so closely to the body. So yeah, I mean, your, your grandmother knows something, even though she might not know the theory behind it, but she knows like, how important that is to your well-being. Exactly. And that just really shows that she cares and wants to elicit positive effective states in our relationship. Maybe not quite that, but possibly. Um, a fifth way you can engage positive effective states in your partner is just to make them laugh. And that really alleviates tension and indicates like a playful attitude. This could be as simple as telling them a joke or making a playful remark. Um, yeah, this is, I admit, this is my go-to. And this doesn't have, this isn't just related to intimate relationships. So yesterday we had a fairly big department meeting that I was worried about, that I was concerned with. 
And whenever I'm leading a meeting like that, there's 20, 21 people in the room, I try my hardest to make a joke at the beginning of the meeting to try and make everyone laugh to make sure that they're in a positive physiological state when we get into a more difficult or complicated subject. Unfortunately, yesterday I made a laugh at the expense of one of my colleagues who's broken his leg. <laughs> it was interpreted somewhat harshly, but still people laughed. They, they thought the joke had edge, but the, the physiological laughter itself kind of uh, overtook that and conditioned or directed the, the course of the meeting in positive directions. Exactly, and that can make such a difference in, yeah, like even something as simple as a meeting. Um, Lastly is just positive nonverbal communication. So that could be smiling, nodding, gentle touch, um, just showing your partner that you're engaged and um, that you're invested in the conversation. Touch can be supportive. It can be intimate. Yeah. So those are the things that will engage the positive physiological affective states. We're supposed to do those in a five to one ratio to the, the negative. But uh, we might find, so if you're listening, if you say, oh, I do all those things, that's okay, but let's check to see about the negative ones <laughs> to make sure that you do them more frequently than you do those these negative things. Yes, so on to the four behaviors that you should avoid at all costs when trying to produce positive effective states and avoid negative effective states. Uh, the first one is focusing on your partner's weaknesses. This can cause a lot of stress and defensiveness and often leads to dysfunctional and destructive conflict. So if something negative ha happens rather than saying, oh, why would you do this? That was so mean or that was uh, so thoughtless. Instead, referring it as an eye sentence, focusing on the situation, not the person. Um, and that just makes people feel like their character isn't in question when you're in conflict and that you're not doubting who they are as a person when things go poorly. Think about when any time that anyone brings up something that you feel insecure about or you feel is your weakness, you will immediately get stressed or feel physical stress or physical tension in your body. So if your partner or someone you're close to is focusing on these weaknesses, on the things that you know you have a physiologically stressful reaction to, then you're going to start to associate that stressful reaction with the person that's eliciting it. Exactly. Um, the second behavior to avoid is focusing on expectations you have of the other. So this is any oughts, shoulds, or musts, and this creates standards and duties for your partner, which can create more stress. An example of this would be um, last fall, I was living in a house with four girls, and it was really loud, and there was a lot going on all the time. Um, and one of my roommates, who was a little bit more organized and a debatably a little like uh, obsessively clean compared to the other roommates, um, sometimes she would get stressed during exams or midterms. And so what she would do is she would post a long rant in our group chat saying like, "Oh, we should be having this house like this, and this should be this way," and you guys should be doing this and this. And as much as I understand where she had been coming from, it kind of created a sense that none of us were meeting expectations and it created like tension and conflict among my roommates. Every should creates a, a bar or a barrier or a line or a threshold for someone to live up to. And every time someone is put in a position of being expected to be measured by some outside external standard like that, it will cause that person to feel stress or to feel um, tension in their body to, when they're trying to live up to or even ignoring living up to that that standard. Exactly. And then um, a third behavior to avoid is pessimistic communication that articulates hopelessness. So the problem with pessimistic communication that articulates hopelessness is it creates a sense that something needs to be fixed and it leads to uncertainty in general but also about the relationship. 
So I kind of think about my high school teachers who whenever anything would go poorly or if our class didn't do well in a test, they would instead talk about how, oh, it wasn't going to work out in university. And if this behavior continued, none of us would be able to graduate and really kind of emphasizing a sense that things weren't going to be fixed in a very sense of like hopelessness. Um, and I think that deteriorates relationships and a sense of trust among people, especially interpersonal relationships. And this is really, really, I, if you're listening and you have children or you are a child of parents, this is really, really true of, of relationships between parents and children. When the parent constantly tells the ch child, oh, you'll never make anything of yourself. Oh, oh, you'll never graduate university. Oh, I don't know why you're doing that. You have, you'll never make it. You'll never make this team. That kind of pessimism can be really destructive for of the child's well-being because you're putting them in a position of constantly feeling this in this negative physiological state. Um, and that is just not helpful and it's destructive of the relationship to begin with. Uh, the fourth behavior to avoid is annoying behaviors in general. So behaviors are annoying because they trigger a successful physiological response. Um, so intentionally triggering this response creates a hostile environment between you and your partner. So being aware of what experiences, words, sentences, forms of communication trigger that response in your partner and then avoiding them can help you reduce unnecessary conflict or just create the sense that you don't care about their experiences. Um, so what my son right now is, uh, he's nine and he's going through this phase where he likes to make funny noises with his mouth and in school right now, he, you know, it's, and when you're nine, you sit at a table with like five or six other kids and he keeps making this noise, this funny noise with his mouth and all the other kids think it's annoying and they get upset and they, they, yell, <laughs> they yell at him and he yells back and he just wants to make that noise. So I tried to tell him the other day, I was like, well, you know, what you're, what's happening right now is that you're engaging the other kids' negative physiological responses. So they're getting stressed or bothered or upset by that noise and that's why they're reacting in the way that they're reacting. If you want them to react differently, you got to stop using that noise or start doing something to make them feel excited or, or joyful. He didn't really get it. He's going to keep making the noise, apparently. Um, maybe one day when he's older, he'll get it and he'll stop. But for the time being, his table is disrupted by him making that noise. Yeah, so that covers all of the behaviors you want to avoid when trying to not elicit negative affective states. Um, some exercises you can try could be during your next conversation with your partner, just trying to implement one of the positive strategies and then specifically to avoid one of the negative ones. Um, alternatively, if the two of you want to try an exercise together, um, you can share a story about a ne negative experience you had in the past month that made you doubt yourself outside of your relationship and then you can re-explain the situation in a positive light and then together um, your partner can help you identify like a silver lining in the experience. Um, after that conversation you can both make note of when effective states were produced and the actions that preceded them and that can help you identify um, what you do to elicit positive effective states in each other and then what strategies worked, what didn't, and maybe even what negative effective states were elicited by that conversation. Uh, oh, what, I, so this is, I have one more exercise you can do. This is not Carly's suggestion. So this is my suggestion. If you've been in a, a long-term relationship, and this is, you got to be careful with this. It's a very difficult exercise. You can take a little notebook for the day. And every time your partner does something that you think engages one of your positive physiological states, so joy, excitement, pride, uh, awe, uh, amusement, inspiration, whatever they are, you mark it down in a box. Every time they engage one of the negative states, you mark that down in a box. And at the end of the day, count up 
and see what the ratio is. Now, Gottman tells us that if the ratio is out of whack, if it's even even, it doesn't look good for the future of your relationship. And so I say this, you know, I, I don't mean to be um, flippant with it. You have to be careful. But um, if the ratio looks good, then, you know, stay with that person. They're a great partner for you. Um, or if the, if the ratio looks bad, you should think about doing some of the things that Carly just suggested, figuring out how to engage in practices that will flip that, uh, flip that ratio. So, so go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so moving on to the last name of the day, if you're going to foster a sustainable relationship with your partner and enjoy each other's company, you should ensure that you're eliciting five times as many positive effective states as negative ones. And that will allow you to, to create like a positive environment that you share interpersonally. Great. Thanks so much, Carly. This was very informative. I think we've all learned a lot about the importance of physiological affective states in our relationships. I'll be back uh, next week with another student, um, and we'll keep going with, with, this, uh, with these interpersonal communication practices. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.